Hello and welcome to the Hot Thoughts Double Dip Podcast. My name is Danny Liebarger, host of Hot Thoughts Live, and I am joined alongside by my friend, pastor, leader, and season one favorite and host of the Double Dip Podcast, Lydia Shepard Kaiser. And we are excited to dive into the Double Dip together. And here's what you can expect. Uh, We just wrapped up season one of Hot Thoughts Live, and rather than take a break between season one and season two, we will be looking back at some of the greatest moments from season one, some of the greatest laughs, meltdowns, and nuggets of wisdom, and we're going to dive back into them and have some further conversation around them, things that we couldn't unpack in just an hour and change on Hot Thoughts Live. And so we're excited that you're joining us. We hope that you'll like, subscribe to the Double Dip Podcast and join us in this journey as we unpack further and grow further this Hot Thoughts community. Hello and welcome to the Double Dip Podcast, episode two race and the gospel. Uh, my name is Lydia and I'm here with Danny and we are stoked that you are tuning in for a second week in a row. And as we start out um, on this podcast today, we just want to say a couple of things up front. Uh, if you got a chance to tune in to Hot Thoughts and watch this specific episode on race and the gospel, this was recorded shortly after the death of George Floyd, uh, that live video. Mm-hmm. And we are now, um, in at least in Portland, on day, I believe, 59, where I'm from, Portland, Oregon, 59 of protests uh, in downtown Portland. Right. So some time has passed <laughs> since the live recording that Danny did um, with, I believe it was five people. Yeah. Um, on, that was, that, was that our largest number so far, I think, of participants? Yeah. Yeah, it was... Interview? That one and the one we just wrapped up with season one with the bishops, both of those had five total guests on. So, uh, and it was a great crew of guests from pastors, dietitians, a uh, yeah. NFL player. Uh, we had we had a cool crew of people joined in for that one. So it was cool. Yeah, that was awesome. So yeah, so this has been uh, I don't know I don't know what you think, Danny. I'd love to hear, but a longer journey than I expected kind of like Corona where I'm like, Oh, we're still here. Like, not that I think we shouldn't still be here having these conversations, but at least from a, um, a city, you know, I'm in Hillsborough, which is about 25 minutes from downtown Portland where these protests have continued on. And we've had federal, um, you know, the government get involved and it's getting pretty crazy. Um, and, and every time I think like, Oh, we've probably hit the pinnacle. Uh, we haven't, uh, with these protests and with the response. Um, and, and I don't know. So it just feels like 2020 is like that theme so far of like, Oh, we're still here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so I, I think we should just keep talking about that. Like, what's it like for you in St. Louis with, with this stuff? Yeah. Well, I think to your point, I think, it's, it is interesting that we're still here, but it's important that we're still here. Like if we weren't, I'd be more concerned. And, Mm. um, I've said this to people a few times, like it's really interesting living in St. Louis, which I would say is really like a cultural Petri dish of a lot of the nation's issues and racism being one of those. Cause it's just a, a very racially divided city. Uh, and there's things like, if you live here, you would know things like the Del Mar Loop, which is a, a really highly divisive racial line. And there's high, strong redlining here, which has caused a lot of racial divide and other things that perpetuate racism. And I've been interested to talk about, like, coming from Portland, it's so interesting. Like, I would say, I've told people this as I reflected, it's more subversively racist because it's a wider population. 
Uh, and it's, it's not in your face as much where I think the race conversation, I moved here uh, not long after Ferguson and like that had, that was at the forefront. And ever since that day, I think race and it's ebbed and flowed sometimes. And I wish there were times it was more at the forefront, but it's really been a conversation to the forefront here. And so right now it's really kind of awesome. I mean, there's school districts and there's churches and there's police departments and there's different municipalities really trying to wrestle with this question on the micro and the macro. How are we handling race and racism and, and striving for equality and equity? And it's it's been a hard conversation and one that I often struggle with. Where is my voice and how do I lead and where do I shut up and, and all of that spectrum. Uh, but it's been a good conversation to be a part of. So, it, but it's different here. I mean, it's it's been going on for years uh, and even before <laughs> Ferguson, um, it's been going on, but it's been catalyzed with some of these more national things, some of which were rooted in St. Louis, so. Are there still protests going on every night in St. Louis? So different, I would say yes and no. So I mean, like okay. uh, if you live in uh, kind of somewhere outside the city, like you you don't see them quite as much, but you see them in more kind of targeted ways. So whether it's a school district or a youth gathered one mm. or a church gathered one. Okay. Uh, but in the city, yeah, there's still uh, protesting going on. And I don't know that it's every night like marching up and down, but uh, there are different signs of protesting that aren't just like occupying streets or marching up and down. But I would say there's micro and macro ways people are protesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the spirit of protest uh, and kind of resistance hasn't died uh, and is probably more alive than ever even. But it looks a little different uh, in some ways. But I even look on the mm-hmm. news places like Portland and Seattle. Um, it is seems to be like a we're in the streets every night type thing. And it so, is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going down. I've not been to any of the protests, uh, but on Saturday, I'm going down, um, just we're calling it a prayer walk, and a bunch of different people from different churches are coming together on Saturday morning at the Pioneer Square, which has been kind of the epicenter of the beginning of the protests and and walking around and and doing some prayer. And so I'll be curious to see for myself, uh, there's been a lot of images floating around and videos of what's going on. Of course, that stuff is usually at nighttime. So I'll be there in the daytime. And it seems like it kind of transforms at night to a different environment. But I'm curious uh, for myself, and I'm excited to pray for peace and for reconciliation and for a way forward for our city, but for our nation as a whole on this topic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, that's the hard part sitting in it, wherever, whatever city, whatever context you're in is like, how do we like, and as Christians prayerfully and with Jesus at the center, move through this and navigate this. And I think that's the hope. And, and I would claim right off the start, as you would say this too, like, there's always, I get nervous when two white people get on the mic and start talking about racism. And so our yeah, goal here. Yeah. Isn't, isn't <laughs> We're both just, extremely nervous right now for anyone listening. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. oh my gosh, this, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and we would claim like, we're not trying to solve any problems, yeah. but I, I remember one of my friends of color really doing a two way kind of calling me out and saying, ask me the work I had done, which I think I bring up on that episode of hot thoughts, but also kind of another one reminding me like my voice, uh, matters like my voice needs to be a part of this and the work of dismantling racism isn't the work of all people of color but has to happen in conversations and so even as a parent like i'm having to have these conversations with my kids as a pastor with my congregation and trying to have conversations with neighbors and family members whoever just to talk about race and racism and say like maybe i don't experience the plight of a person of color but i do have a voice to speak to try to dismantle that and so i think 
I would speak for both of us in this, but I would say that's our hope is to just use our platform and voice to try to speak truth and the hope of the gospel um, that into this situation. So, yeah, I think that's such a tension that so many people feel on that tightrope, especially as a pastor, as a leader of like, yeah, I don't want to be the center of attention here. Like this isn't not because I don't care, but because I don't know what it's like to walk in those shoes. And I, and I want to come with humility, but at the same time, people saying, yeah, but you have a voice, you have a platform, you better use it wisely. So there's right. this tension and I, I feel you on that for sure. I wonder if I could ask you, Danny, and I know we weren't, we weren't planning this, but um, I yeah. think it could be really helpful and people might be intrigued by it. I heard you say, as a parent, I'm starting to have conversations with my kids. And I wonder if I've heard other people say that, but I'm like, okay, what can we provide at Hot Thoughts that other, or in the double dip that other people aren't getting from elsewhere? And I guess like, I want to hear like, what is a conversation like that? What does that entail, Danny? Because I mean, we have a kid, but he's 17 months old. We're not having those conversations, obviously. He's not even talking really. So how can you just share with not to say like, Oh yeah, Danny, like you've got it figured out. Parents listen up. This is the way you got to do it. But just for like some frame of reference, like what does it look like to have a conversation with your kids about racism? Yeah, I think, um, I would own as well. I don't have it all right. And I think I probably messed up more times than not talking to my kids, but, um, yeah, for us, I mean, it's been really interesting because, we live in a a pretty racially diverse city and we want to make sure that they have opportunities to have friends that aren't just people that look like them. But I also pastor a church in a pretty predominantly white neighborhood and they notice a little bit of that contrast. And so uh, Mm. our thing is like really trying not to avoid it. And we were reading my wife and I a book, uh, white fragility that talks about like how, like if you saw a really attractive white man, like if your kid in the store was like, hey, that's a really pretty white guy, you wouldn't feel weird. But if your kid mm. was like, oh, that's a really beautiful or pretty black guy, like you'd feel weird about it because naming blackness for whatever reason in our culture hmm. is become this taboo thing. And so for us, I mean, our biggest thing is trying to normalize that like black may look different, like being a person of color looks different than family skin tone. Uh, but it's, it's no, no less than we are, no, no better than we are and really helping them understand, like, there's nothing taboo about your race or or your color, your ethnicity, right. Being able to dive into those things and say like, these are just people and they look a little differently than I do. Um, but underneath, like we're people that are created in the image of God. And I think that's where we've had to go back to, because we only have a, a six year old. Right. And so talking about the systemic issues of racism doesn't always land on his ears. Right. And the, the things that are pushing against that. And so we really try to sit really firm and heavy with like, ask us your questions about this. If you have a question about race, if you have that, please ask us, but also sitting in a place that says like these people, I mean, they look different than us, but they're people, they're God's creation. And it's not even to save these people, right. To make them the other, like we're all this family that's connected and really trying to help them understand that. Um, And like our school district's doing great. Like they're trying to provide resources uh, for books to read as a family uh, or uh, as adults, they our school district just hosted a march uh, for uh, equality and fighting against racism. And I think they're trying really hard to do that and fight that. And so I think for us, that's a long way of saying that for us, it's really trying to name it and talk about it and not do what I feel like a lot of parents did. Um, and maybe when I was growing up would just don't talk about it. Right? Let's be colorblind. Let's pretend like X, Y, or Z, like 
let's name that color is real. Let's name that race is real, but understand that there's beauty in our race and that one isn't better than the other. Um, which is another thing that book, which was really a great one my wife and I went through, which was White Fragility, talks about um, really some of the negative aspects of colorblindness and how it can really like perpetuate like the presumed ignorance that race is even a thing, right? Like if you're colorblind, then race can't be real. Um, and so acknowledging that there's differences, um, but there's one God that created us and that we're connected and together. And so, um, yeah, no, I hope that answers your question. It's kind of a long way to go about that, but. Yeah, no, I think so. I think that um, it's just interesting. And again, it's gonna the, the conversation is gonna shift as our kids get older and what they can handle and what right. they're processing. And, and so figuring out like, how do I, simplify this in a way that my six-year-old is going to understand and also almost like not wanting to have the conversation because part of me you know there's I don't know if you felt this but I could see where I'd be like I don't even want you're so innocent and sweet like at that age like I don't even want to like open you up to the fact that like people treat other people differently like you almost want to keep them like you you're treating people around you I see you treating them well like no matter their skin color no matter their you know their class and so it's like wanting to protect that bubble, but then also right. realizing like that bubble's going to be popped at some point. And do I want to be right. the one that pops it or do I want someone else? <laughs> yeah. Well, I read a, so I read a study that actually said like student or like kids, children create biases on race, even around the age of three. And so even if it's not wow. overt, like, I think that's the hard thing. Like the bubble's been popped already in some ways, mm. even if they're sweet kids and trying to say like, Hey, how can we own this? Because if we don't, then like the subversive racism that I was kind of talking about, it digs deeper. And then you think it doesn't really exist. And I think that, I guess that would be my biggest key for myself that we try to live into and any other parents is like, talk about it and be there and own yeah. that you don't have all the answers. Um, but that you're trying to love your neighbor uh, and say that like the, the treatment of people as less than human in any context is never right. And right now the fight right. is to help our friends of color and, and black lives, right. To feel like they, and know that they really matter and know that they're valued and know that they're a part of every single part of society. And that's not something that's up. Yeah. For debate. There's a couple things that came to mind when you were talking. Uh, one is just, and you, you referred to this, but I just want to acknowledge it. Um, and maybe I want to acknowledge it because I'm feeling the tension of that. And in my personal experience, I'm 30 years old and I have experienced the shift in language of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate of how we refer to one another. And in particular, how we think about one another. So you're saying like, it used to be like colorblindness was like a thing that we would promote. Like, yeah, you don't see color because we're all equal in God's eyes. We all, you know, so it's like that. So the, the why I think is still kind of the same of like, we want to treat everyone with, they have value and they matter and no one's better or worse than the other. But the way that we get to that is now different. We're saying, actually, we want to celebrate the differences rather than pretend that we don't have them. And so, yeah. and the answer I think there is like, well, it's both, right? Like, obviously we do have differences and we need to celebrate them. And there are a lot of things that are not that different about each other because we're one race. Like we're human, the human race, right? Of like, yeah, we all feel, we all bleed the same color. Like we all, right. you know, so this like, how can we kind of bridge those together and say like, obviously like, like it's, so, so I guess just for me, like, it's been interesting to notice the difference, the shift in language and perspective, 
um, and how we're referring to things. Um, but I think the baseline has still been largely the same, which is we're all God's, we're all God's children and we need to treat each other like it. <laughs> but yeah. the way we're doing it is just different. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about language and like what you brought up is like intent, right? Like when we're saying it, I don't, like, I don't yes. think anyone, when they talked about it growing up were malicious, no. but I, I, I can see the use of it now as a way to say like, well, I just, I don't see it. So I don't have to acknowledge it. And yes. I think, I think that's, yeah, minimizing it. So I think intent really matters and trying to figure out where that is and like just understanding that language is important and, and what are you trying to imply by that and even if you're not trying to like there are things that I wouldn't say because they're just out of bound language wise right and figuring out well if that language isn't helpful how do we redefine it or create yeah. a new vernacular to help us live into what the preferred future is and so and I think that's the space we're in right now it's like a really it is an uncomfortable space and not uncomfortable because I don't want to be here but an uncomfortable one that you're like always trying to make sure that you're progressing and any type of progressing, I think is uncomfortable, whether that's in your faith or academics or sports, like if you're getting better or you're progressing or you're stretching and you're pulling and you're, you're creating tension so that you can develop more uh, resilience and strength. And I think that's just the space we're in right now. And uh, the hope is that as our kids grow up, even though they're a little farther out in age gap, like, as they grow up, my hope is that the conversation on a race is one that has made more progress than we have in the last 60 to a hundred years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I've really, yeah, I've really just wrestled with this. And, you know, for those of you listening, I told, like I told Danny before I got here, I was like, I am really nervous about this. And I think <laughs> You I said mean, that just, already. <laughs> I know. I just, I'm sitting here like my palms are sweating. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like I have Mom's so spaghetti. much fear of, uh, it's funny. I think I'm realizing how much I don't like conflict. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I don't, I know, I think most people don't, but I always thought I was a little bit more of a challenger than I think I actually am. Um, yeah. So I find myself in this space and even going here, I don't know, again, you've already said our experiences are very different where we live, but like in my, and even not just that, not just where we live, but I think in the denominations that we serve in um, yeah. regarding even this topic. And I've experienced, like I have a family member who said to me, they don't believe systemic racism is real. Like I was yeah. like, my jaw like dropped. Like I was like, I come again. <laughs> like yeah. I just couldn't believe that, that someone that I know and love was like, it's, it's, Anyways, so, so I've had some really good conversations about this, but I, um, I've definitely wrestled because we've had so many, like, if any of you are on social media, you have seen the, um, especially in Portland, there's been this like, well, are you for the protests or are you not? And peaceful versus yeah. not peaceful rioting. Is that maybe we're at the point where some people say rioting is was what it's going to take. Burning buildings is what it's going to take. And so seeing these kind of extreme, um, extreme language, extreme views, extreme actions on, and not just from believers, but I get more confused and more disturbed when it's from believers. And I see the divisiveness amongst our own brothers and sisters of faith who are just like, can't even get in a room and have a conversation without someone getting upset or offended or saying, well, then you don't really love Jesus because <laughs> your solution to that problem is so wacky. Right. And so, yeah, when yeah, I enter this I get... space, I, I get nervous. Yeah. And I, like, for me, it's so hard. Uh, Cause like, I, I do have some challenger in me, like, but I also like, don't, 
I hate trying to be the voice that speaks of things that I'm ignorant about. And so that's why for a long time, I think I would say I try to skirt away from the conversation because I didn't want to say something wrong. But I think part of the pursuit again, to like being able to even be the person God has created us to be, but to like be in this conversation is to, to fail and do that with humility. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. uh, I think part Mm -hmm. of that, but I mean, I think like when I ponder the conversation of like Christians and non-Christians fighting over this, like I get in some ways the, like, well, I don't want people rioting and I don't want people uh, protesting because I want to be able to have a good commute, right? Like in Portland, I bet you people talk about that all, I bet you people talk about that all the time because traffic is terrible, right? Well, but not there's now ex- because of Corona, it's fine. Right, I guess that's probably true. Uh, but it's people, excellent. Yeah, you can come up with whatever you want is the rationale for like why this isn't right. And I think, again, what frustrates me about any sort of like, argument to the protest is I get like the take on like, Hey, this is not what I would do personally, maybe, but you have to remember like what's being protested. And what I usually find is anyone saying like, well, I wouldn't have done it this way. I wouldn't, it's minimizing the fact that like black people are being killed for literally no reason by the police. Right. And it's happening. And not every police officer does that, but We've seen it happen and there's protests against that, right? We see that there's structures that are sending more people of color to prison, right, than anyone else. Like if you watch the documentary 13th, which was talked about a ton on Hot Thoughts, like it talks a ton about that, right? Or you even watch movies that are more dramatized, but still based on truths like Just Mercy, right? Like you see that like there are just things that if you dive into the personal story, that it paints a picture that like there is not equality everywhere, and I think some of the narrative and the rhetoric around why well, wouldn't have done it this way or wouldn't have done it that way is a missing of the whole point, which is we want to say that our black and brown friends, like people of color, that they matter and are of value uh, and that that's not up for debate. And I, I think sometimes I think the rhetoric in other places are just a way to deflect from the real issue, which frustrates me. Well, and I feel like on like the side where I'm, I'm wrestling right now is like, I feel like what's happened at least in Portland, in my experience and the people that I know and I trust that have been, have been down there and witnessed some of this and seen it has been like, that feels like the narrative of how this all started has gotten distracted and drowned out. But now it's just like, people are, you know, there's just like the destruction of property and people are getting hurt and, and buildings, you know? So it's like, is the issue really even the focus anymore? Cause, cause it's feeling like we've lost focus. Like it's, it's become about, you know, it seems almost like sort of that like mentality, like the mob mentality where it's like, I don't even know sometimes if people really know why they're there <laughs> yeah. or what they're doing or like, is, is the message getting drowned out and lost? And I think that will always be up for debate. Like, and people are going to have different uh, thoughts on that. And I don't know that we can ever prove who's right or who's wrong. Um, but it has been uh, really interesting to see, you know, um, and talk with one of the things that I wanted to do in response to this is I, I've talked to, you know, how to open honest conversation and maybe uncomfortable conversation with my different friends of color and people of color in our church, which similar to you, Danny, uh, we are a white suburban church and affluent church as well, largely. Um, and, but then I also have talked to the police officers in our church and their families and had like conversations on both. And I've been like, so encouraged on both sides to be like, man, I wish like what I want to see, this would be legit hot thoughts, but I don't even know if we want to go. Like, I want to see African-American 
and police officers get together and have a conversation about this. Like I want to yeah. like, like, cause I'm seeing a lot of, you know, people of color having conversations within, the, within their community. I'm seeing cops have a lot of conversations within their community, but I'm not seeing the dialogue between both and like in a public you know forum or in a space. And I would love to see that happen. I'd love to, to make that happen because I have been so, I learned a lot by not just saying, I'm just going to, you know, listen to this side of the story, but I want to go and I want to have personal conversation with this side as well. And, and figuring out how to care for, I mean, we're care for the people of color that are in our church who identify and have similar experience with some of the people who are protesting, but then also learn how to care for and love the police officers in our community who are feeling alone, ostracized, suicidal, as a result of the fact that they feel like they're, they are now the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, at the core of what I think you're saying, there's wisdom and listening, right. And being able to be able to be uh, that person to absorb as much uh, of pain as you can as, as a friend, to be able to listen as a pastor, but also to listen to the perspectives of people across the way. I remember uh, a few years ago, I, I preached a sermon on loving your neighbor and I wore a, Black Lives Matter shirt uh, while I did it. And I would say there is a large number of our congregation that thought that was like the coolest thing that they've ever seen. And people loved that. And I had uh, some really deep conversations with the retired police officer afterwards and talking with some of the pain that, that evoked because of the assumption of the narrative that I was trying to project yeah. by wearing that. And I think to your point though, like being able to have a conversation uh, and say like, just so you know, like I'm wearing the shirt because I want to say that black lives in fact matter. And I'm not saying your role as a cop uh, doesn't matter. I'm not saying that you have done anything wrong or that all cops are bad, but I'm saying that black lives uh, unequivocally matter. And I think, but that conversation never could have happened if we didn't decide to dive and do that exactly a conversation. And Mm -hmm. I think creating those spaces to have those larger conversations, I do think are great. Um, Though, I mean, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I think about the only difference is like, I think black are all kind of police officers are feeling a little bit of tension because there's a group of them that are kind of using excessive force and doing things that are souring the bunch, so to speak, where on the other side, like I would say all people of color are subject to whether they want it or not, like that same oppression on a daily basis and can't just escape it by a job change. And so there is like their plights are similar in some ways and would be Mm -hmm. connected if they had a conversation, but also like different in the, totality of what it looks like and kind of how you get mm-hmm. there if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. yeah i think that there's um yeah no i will just leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> well for, so for you like i mean this is a question i have i mean like because again we're not we're not trying to answer anything but really trying to be vulnerable and honest and have a conversation um but for you as a pastor and you alluded to this a little bit like when you navigate pastoring a a congregation that is you said predominantly white uh in a state that's predominantly white but currently is like navigating these questions at a high volume all over national news right now at least uh what is your biggest struggle about navigating your place of leadership because i think that's one question i would love us to think about is like i think leadership as a white clergy person to speak against racism is really important Uh, not to lead the charge but to say that we're not going to sit back and uh, not lead at all. And so when you think about your ability, your necessity, the struggles, the joys that come with leading during this conversation, what do you, what are you wrestling with? 
And I'll answer that too, but can just wonder for you Annie, what you're I hate wrestling. you so much right now. I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, I think what's just hard for me about this is I'm wrestling. I feel like I'm wrestling with all of it. Like, yeah, I, I like I, I know that's a such a lame, but like, okay, so I think the language has really, like, um kind of sidelined me in all this so like the language right. of like black lives matter so that language has been so confusing to me like i've been trying to like do a lot of research and try to understand honestly like what does that actually mean and because what i've learned you know and this is just my personal experience and i know other people are going to have different personal experiences is that when someone wears a t-shirt that says black lives matters or hashtags black lives matter um, that can be taken and be representing two very different things. And with that, I've been extremely cautious. If you follow me, as I know you do, Danny, on social media, you'll see that I didn't blackout Tuesday. I didn't hashtag Black Lives Matter on anything. I didn't come out with some big post. And I have yet to do that. Now, I have um, called for, for prayer and, and, you know, and reconciliation and peace, but I have not aligned myself with the Black Lives Matter movement largely because I have felt confused myself about what all I was really representing and supporting when I said that, because I found it to be extremely politically charged. And again, this is my experience. It might not be other people's. Um, I found it to be really ostracizing. And instead of opening up conversation in my sphere, it's closed conversations and relationships. So I guess like I'm navigating the language, yeah, the language and, and trying to figure out where, where's our common ground. Cause I think a lot of us are wanting and saying the same thing, but our language is almost blocking us from getting to a place of unity um, because of, of our fear of being um, I know my fear of being aligned with something that I don't agree with wholeheartedly. So like, I, I don't want to be, I don't want it to assume that if I represent if I say this statement, I'm now representing that organization and supporting everything that they're doing or that I vote this way. Like I try to really remain in a place where people on either side of an issue can access me as a pastor and as a leader. So I try to be really wise and thoughtful about that while also still wanting to call out sin where sin is or where systemic injustice is. And so I'm trying to navigate the line of like, how do I say actually yeah, black lives in the purest sense absolutely 110% matter. And I do want to be an ally. I want to be a voice. I want to advocate and use my power wherever, what little I have of it. But on the other side of that, recognizing that, um, you know, my, my, my friend who's a Latino, like his life matters, right? Like, of course, like, no. And again, I heard a great example. I didn't understand. Like, so it was pretty gutsy of you to, to wear that shirt back. What was that, after Ferguson? You said, Danny, it was before this experience, uh, like, right? Yeah. Like, like three years ago. Okay. So until this movement, recent movement, I did not understand the black lives matter thing. I was like, I would, I would have been, even though I never did. And again, this is why I'm grateful that I don't put everything that I think and feel on social media. I would have been a hashtag all lives matter before black lives matter because I didn't get it because like yeah. my friend who's our, our Latino um, youth pastor just moved up here from California, him and his wife. 
said he was in a meeting with, you know, he worked at a, um, in, in LA in the school district there. And there was an African-American woman who had said something about Black Lives Matter. And Carlos responded this a few years ago, well, all lives matter. And she got pissed and she got up and she walked out of the meeting. And Carlos shared with us, like, I didn't get it. I was like, why is she so mad? Like what I said was true. Like, everyone's life matters and then he said and we all processed that together as a staff like that's because we didn't understand that people aren't living like they do matter and so until black lives really do matter all lives can't matter and trying to understand that and again i feel like it was the language that got in the way that was the barrier that stopped from progress happening and real conversation so i guess right now i'm just wrestling with language, organizations, politics, um, all of that, and trying to figure out how can I say what I think a lot of good and well-intentioned people are trying to say in a less politicized, less specific organization that I'm aligned with way. And I haven't come to an answer. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I'll uh, just name this for anyone listening that my father-in-law is currently doing work in my basement. Okay, so yeah, really loud noises I was in my really background. like wanting to ask, a- but I was like, I'm going to play it cool. It's fine. <laughs> that, that, that's what that is. So, uh, but I, uh, hopefully it's not too distracting. So, um, but I, I'm with you. I would say I, I wrestled with the same thing, uh, though not on social media, but the uh, all lives, Black Lives Matter thing uh, around the time of Ferguson before moving to Portland. And thinking about that, I think like the question is like exactly what you said. Like, I think it's unequivocally yes, like everyone matters, right? Like all lives matter. But the thing is like the argument is that currently we're not living as if Black right. Lives Matter. And right. so the reason this is a movement and a, and a protest is that we're really trying to um, strive for that. And I, I get the the political side too, because I think that's the struggle of like, where is the line between Jesus and politics and race and faith and all of these things? And I think there is this intersection between all of them, um, but figuring out like, how do you faithfully navigate those? Um, and so, but I appreciate like your, I think one thing that I would name that we don't do really well in, in our culture is let people process um, honestly where they are and let people try especially to navigate things. Leaders, and even the especially sto- pastors. Yeah, especially leaders. And I think sharing, um, about your youth pastor's experience and how your staff processed that and your own stuff. I just appreciate you sharing that because I think the hardest part of all this is we're not going to get it all right, no matter where you are uh, on that spectrum, but trying to move towards um, not an organizational polity of what this means, but the fact that you actually believe in every fiber of your body and the way you live it out, that black lives actually matter so that then all lives and everyone that is around us can matter. And so, um, So, no, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Yeah. So when you asked me the question, I feel like you said you had an answer for the same question that you asked me, Danny. Did you not? Yeah. So, I mean, like for me, I would just say, I mean, the struggle is always trying to figure out when to leverage my voice. And my struggle is actually, I feel like I don't use my voice enough. Like I have, I have mm. platforms like Hot Thoughts where we have 600 whatever people in our group at this point, And we have a podcast and we reach up to a thousand people through media. I'm a pastor and I preach. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I have wrestled with and tried to become more bold in my, my preaching and the areas I can to speak just towards hope and truth. And the fact that um, in this conversation specifically, anything that is against the idea that my black and brown friends matter, um, I'm going to push against. 
and I would say I get it wrong more times than I get it right. But my biggest struggle is trying to figure out how I leverage my voice and try to speak into that. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, and rightly so, you know, people look to pastors and to leaders to have the answers. I mean, you know, they look to us like we do have it all figured out, sometimes forgetting that, like you said, like we're processing, we're making our way forward, like the the death of George Floyd and 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 all the things that have happened since even since then, we're still we're we got the information the same time everybody else did. <laughs> And right. we don't have privy, we don't get, uh, the Lord doesn't tell us ahead of time that, you know, about that's going to happen. And you're going to have to make a stance this right. Sunday of, of your, you know, what's you're going to be your, your sermon going to be about, you got to change everything. And now you got to say, you know, and, and it's been interesting too, because I've noticed the conversation change on that. I don't know your experience, but for a while it, I remember hearing like, don't, Oh, actually, you talked about this. Uh, you and those uh, wonderful women that were on the story, the one about story. Oh, um, yeah. The hot thoughts about story and, and how we talk about, do we talk about what we're going through when we're in the middle of it or not? Because those can produce some of those amazing stories, the most vulnerable moments. Um, and yet, on the other side, it can create, like you mentioned, Danny, like, oh, I talked a few times about my divorce when I was going through that probably wasn't the best thing, right? And I kind of right. laughed like, oh, yeah, we've all we've all been there, right? Where we've like shared right. what we're in this in the thick of. So even with this, I know our church, I saw our, our leaders go, do we respond in the moment right now as a church of like, here's our visceral like response. We haven't had a lot of time to process and think about it, which I saw a lot of churches do when the death of George Floyd happened. And I think we didn't, we chose to wait a couple weeks until we like had, and then we had a sermon kind of, and it was actually like a round table conversation about it. But this sense of like, oh, somehow the leaders and pastors should be like ahead of all this to be able to post and make their statement about something that is so controversial and is so emotionally charged. Um, I feel like that narrative has changed and like it used to be, don't talk about that stuff until you've worked through it and you have a story about how God showed up. And now people are like, no, we actually want you to show us you're messy and we want you to show us that you don't have it all together. So it's yeah. been a shift, I think, in what people are expecting from their leaders too. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a difference too between processing your pain, like in front of a captive audience and like processing, like where you see God in the midst of like, a brokenness and tragedy. And so I think, and there's, there's similar in some ways, but yeah, figuring out like how you navigate that and how you do it with care. And so, um, but yeah, I think it has, I remember over the, when I was at my previous church, there was uh, several kind of things in a, in a row um, race related and some things around the LGBTQ community. And every week we were like throwing away the sermon. We had to preach something towards that. And you have to have mm -hmm. the conversation like, at what point can you just create really compelling messages about the gospel that speak to everything and not to skirt the issue, but to say like the gospel actually does transform this. And so, um, so I think it's a, it's, it's an interesting tension to be managed, right? Maybe not a problem to be solved, but a tension um, to be managed. So, um, well, Hey, so I think we're getting close to our time. And so I, I want to be faithful to that. And so I wanted to maybe kick it to you for what you think maybe the last thing we can chat about before we wrap up is, or if a kind of final thought or, something before we wrap this thing up. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I do want to give a shout out to all of the, the guests that were on that episode of, of hot thoughts. Cause I feel like they really brought 
um, yeah, they really brought themselves to the table and, and sharing what their personal experiences have been. I thought it was really brave of Noah and, and courageous of him and, to show up and say like, hey, this is my experience as a white man who's actually where, like in the city that George Floyd was murdered. <laughs> um, and so I guess I just kind of want to end by saying I'm hopeful um, and I, 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 you know, I, I'm excited to see, I believe that God is doing something and that God is moving and that God is shaking up people's stereotypes and thoughts and, and causing people to ask hard questions, really reflecting on where um, kind of the plank in their own eye, I guess, when it comes to this topic. And um, I'm, I'm proud to lead a congregation that I think has, you know, been asking questions and wrestling with that. And I want to continue to create space for people um, to do that and to, to, to be the change agents where they're at. And it, I really do believe that it starts with relationship and it starts more on the micro than on the macro level. Yeah, no, that's good. And I appreciate um, all that. And I think like you said, the micro, we got to start in that level, um, especially as uh, people that aren't sure where to start, start in the micro and, and build up from there. Right. And so, um, but I, I'm with you. I appreciate the the leaders that we had on that episode of hot thoughts. If you didn't get a chance to tune in, I'd invite you to go watch it. It was a really, uh, a really fruitful conversation. And yeah, no, so I think good. our conversation today, Lydia is one that is a hard one to try to go through and, and do with care. But I think again, an important one, at least to model that, we may not agree or get everything right or this, that, or the other thing, but what we're striving for is to say that we want racial equality yeah. to be at the forefront of our culture. And we believe it's at the forefront of, of what Jesus calls us to. And yeah. so fighting for that on an everyday basis is important. Yeah, absolutely. No, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in guys. We're so glad to have you here. Make sure you tune in uh, next week for episode three of the double dip. We'll see you then. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Double Dip Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you had fun. And more than that, we hope to see you back again here next week. And so whether you're on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, we hope that you will subscribe and like and stay up to date with the most recent Double Dip Podcast as each week we unpack another episode from season one. But friends, stay spicy and we look forward to seeing you back here again next week.